Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. Welcome to part two of our interview with food impresario Jeff Meese, co-founder and co-proprietor of, among several other food businesses, Pizza X. Jeff and I started our conversation yesterday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB 91.3 FM, and we'll wrap it up today. But before we continue, here's a slice from the past from the Italian-American novelty hit singer, Lou Monti. He's the new sensation in the nation, Pizza Boy USA. He's the flying saucer innovation, Pizza Boy USA. He's getting ready now, listen to that crowd, he's a Pizza Boy USA. Toss a pizza, roll a pizza up and all around the pizza boy. Look at it fly. Toss a pizza, roll a pizza up and all around the pizza boy. Oh, what a guy. They love him so when he flips that dough. He's Pizza Boy USA. Boy, look at it go. Make a dance, take a chance, up and all around the pizza boy. He's no schmo, they love him so, and he flips that dough. He's Pizza Boy USA. Hey, that tune wasn't as big as Lou Monti's million selling 1963 smash, Peppino the Italian Mouse. But it'll do right now as we continue our conversation with Jeff Meese. If you missed yesterday's part one, go to WFHB.org, pull down the program's menu, and select Big Talk for our archive. And now, here's Jeff Meese on Big Talk. You actually used paycheck protection money to give your hourly employees a little raise, a temporary raise, of course. I mean, you can't go on forever, but you gave them some money. You know all about me. Uh, you've been researching. I uh, try, yeah. The PPP, you know, we're just about to go into the second one, and things are a little more s stable right now. That first PPP, you know, was done so fast, and it was, you know, nobody knew, you know, it was just nobody knew what to expect. And so when that CARES Act was passed, and I have I spent I just went into like spent most of a week reading about these different things that the government was doing to try and understand because you know it's one thing that they said these loans were potentially forgivable and great if they're forgivable but you know it's the stuff is crashing and do I want to take on huge new debt you know uh, so. You had to really like look at that. So looking at these things, and it was clear, like the way it was going to work to get this forgiven, you had to maintain your payroll levels. 
you had to maintain your payroll levels. The government's intention was keep paying people, even if they got to sit home and watch TV, like pay them. Uh, and so we keep the economy moving. The money's still going out. It's like, it's like unemployment, but it's done through the business. But fly in the ointment. In order to do that, to get those employees hired, they would need to not be on unemployment. Well, the federal government was giving everybody $600 extra on top of their unemployment. So am I going to tell that server at Lenny's, no, I'm sorry, you can't be on unemployment. You need to stay working for us, sit home, earn no tips. We'll pay you minimum wage and uh, so we can get our PPP money. It just didn't work. Those two right. things just fought each other. So my worry was, that's not so much about Pizza X, my worry was that that people like at Pizza X or fast food companies all over the place are going to see this situation and go, I don't want to work. But everybody's sitting at home getting $600 a week and I'm working for three fifty, whatever. And so I thought, man, we got to do, we got to do something like, you know, Pizza X needs to keep strong and we are, we got business, but we got to have staff. And so so I, we just thought, you know, the Pizza X PPP is going to be forgiven. So it's free money. So why don't we take a big chunk of that and just give it to our staff over the course of that time that the PPP is was like three, whatever that period was. I think we did it for three months. Yeah, May, March through May, <laughs> yeah. something so in that order. We bumped everybody's wage up 75%. It still didn't get, it wasn't anywhere near to what people were making sitting at home uh, watching Netflix, but but staff really appreciated it and they were happy to come to work. And I think frankly they didn't even believe it at first. We're like, yeah, we're gonna bump your wage 75%. And they're like, Ooh. well, I'll tell you what, I I've caught some crap about that. Somebody wrote, somebody, a writer who writes in a the Indiana Policy Review used us an ex, as an example of what crappy public policy this was, because look at this company that they didn't need that money. You know, they're just giving it to their staff. <laughs> uh, and get this, and I've had, in trying to negotiate some lease issues, and uh, they're like, well, you know, you're, you were just so cavalier. You know, you want a better lease rate, but you're, you know, you, you gave all that money to your staff. This is very interesting, isn't it? The way the, way the haves, the rentier class thinks about the working class. Very right. You're just throwing money away. Oh, yeah. You should give it to us. I mean, when I sign a lease, hey, when we signed that lease, negotiated that lease, if I would have said, hey, you know, what if there's a pandemic and IU shuts down? You know, what happens then? What if, you know, and they would have just rolled their eyes at me, right? Right. Interesting. But I really have, I've, we've caught some flack about that. It's, it's been interesting. You uh, laid off 100 employees. Uh, it's really sad. Was it, how hard was that? Well, uh, it wasn't that it wasn't that hard, honestly, because uh, the, well, the t as the, at the P at the time of the PPP, no, this was before. Yeah, it got easier once the PPP. Sorry, once the CARES Act stuff got real, then it felt then it felt okay, then it felt fine. But you're right. At the time of the rest, at the time when the pandemic first happened and we had to just stop, everybody was just shocked. You know, we were shocked, staff was shocked, 
And at that moment in what, mid-March, mid to go back there, the government said restaurants need to shut down the state, you know, states did this, yeah. uh, for two weeks, for two weeks. Restaurants need to shut down for two weeks. We're going to try to flatten the, flatten the curve. And, you know, when I first heard inkling of that, maybe back in February, that, wow, like Italy is... Italy's just locking down the country and I'm just, whoa, you know, that could, how could that, how could, how could that even be possible? You know, and then San Francisco did it. And then, and then New York City and then Ohio. Well, Ohio's, you know, right next door, you know, and then it just like, hey, this is, this is happening and it's not going to be two weeks. You know, you look at Italy, this is not going to be two weeks. It's going to be two months probably yeah. two months, which seemed like forever. And so, so it was just, yeah, we're like, well, we just gotta, we gotta shut down, get, get us office staff to help people get unemployment. And we're just going to have to weather this thing. Then you're probably talking about the food thing that we did, which immediately, you know, we just like, well, we've got all this food. We ought to feed our staff. You know, we ought to figure out how we could do that. And catering, we've got this big, beautiful kitchen down in our catering operation and our chef, we weren't going to lay off our chef because we still had a little bits of stuff to do. We're like, Hey, why don't we just start? We've got all this food. Why don't we just keep doing family meal for any one world staff who, you know, want to come, come get food. So it was, it was kind of a no brainer. How did that, how did that work? I mean, did you, did you make a sort of a grab and go type of meal that they could take or could they stay at the, at the event center and eat their meal. Well, the first week, the first like even less than a week, if my memory serves me, what we did was we decided let's make three kinds of meals and we're not, nobody gets a choice. We're just going to make food and yeah. we're going to make a regular meal, maybe with meat, maybe not. And a so an omnivore meal and a vegetarian meal, vegan probably. And then a, um, uh, and then a gluten-free meal. So we had three meals. But nobody knew, you didn't know, you know, only the chef knew what was happening today. So yeah. you'd come, so then people would, we'd set up a little online thing where people could order. I want, I want three meals or four meals or whatever. At first we did it, everybody gathered, you know, which was really nice because everybody was just freaked out. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's gathering. Uh, and we were distant, you know, of course, but then, then it's like surfaces, you know, nobody people didn't really feel safe. And my staff who was handing out the food didn't feel safe. You know, nobody knew sort of how this whole thing was working. So we're like, okay, let's just go all the curbside pickup. Uh -huh. And so we did that like within a week, if, if memory serves. And then we just started opening it up because we had other restaurants said, Hey, um, well, we knew, we knew staff at other restaurants and, and I'm just like, Hey, why don't we, we could make more, you know, if you're going to make 50 meals, it's not that hard to make a hundred meals, you know, and especially if you got, if you've got the food uh, and Nick's, you know, we ended up just kind of opening it up to, to other restaurants and food service staff. And then just general, it's just sort of like, well, whoever needs food, just, I mean, and by then, you know, by then the CARES Act thing was come along and people weren't afraid of where their next meal was coming from, which was a lot of the intention why I wanted to do it off the bat was just to go, you know, don't freak out. You know, we're, right. the, uh, we're not, we're not going to run out of food. You know, you're not going to go hungry. 
And by the time that the, the, the unemployment thing got bumped, everybody sort of got relaxed and kind of the numbers fell off and we stopped. But we did it for about 11 weeks. Now, I saw a figure that said that there were about 10,000 meals served. Yeah, at least. I, I think I've thrown out bigger numbers than that. But yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was at least 10,000. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and we were taking meals to the hospital, too. Both hospitals, because I, I called a, about a week into it, I was thinking, I wrote a friend of mine who was in uh, at the Bloomington Hospital, a new nurse on the night shift. And I'm like, how's, how's the food scene over there at the hospital? And she's like, oh, it's a disaster. The cafeteria closed. It's not that good anywhere. Aramark right. took it over, but the cafeteria closed. And she's like, and all the restaurants, nobody's open after 10 for delivery. So we started making... Oh, like 135 meals, I think, to take to the hospital every, every night, five nights a week. Okay, here we are. It's about a year almost into this craziness. Are you worried? I'm worried about a lot of things. Yeah, worried about what? <laughs> well, are you worried that your businesses are at some point going to be no more? Well... I think there's cause for worry. If you're in the if you're in the kind of business where people gather, if you're a restaurant or poor Dave Kubiak with the Bluebird, that's often the one I guy that I think of. I mean, uh, it's yeah, it's a real concern. I I try to remember 1919 though. It took a few years and then things get back to normal, and we've all. You know, we've all seen something that, you know, none of us have ever really considered happening before. But right. then you've got the worry that there could be another one right on the heels of this. I mean, that's, that's the case. So in terms of like, I'm not, a, I'm not opening more restaurants, Michael. I'll tell you that. <laughs> not, not, with, not, in the current, not in the current risk-reward scenario that, <laughs> and the cost, you know, and the lease rate and everything else. I know. Uh, now, our pizza delivery business has been great, you know, really strong, up, you know, it's up on last year. The whole economy hasn't tanked, which frankly surprised me, what I thought might happen in the beginning. But certainly for those of us who depend on people, you know, the whole tourism business and all that are just, you know, decimated. I, I've got to say, as you allude to, you were in almost a perfect business for these days. Pizza delivery, man. I mean, nobody wants to go out, hey, pick up the phone, run over a big pizza. I'm dying of hunger over here. Yeah. That's yeah. going to work every day of the week. Yeah, I feel very lucky. I would never have been in any of these other businesses if it wasn't for the pizza delivery business either, because really the pizza delivery business has funded everything else that we've done, you know, right. because it's just very efficient and value and it works easily. So you're right. Very, I feel very fortunate compared to so many friends of mine, like, you know, Michael at the Uptown and, yeah. and Susan and Rags, you know, you're, you're stuck with this one business that's so dependent, you know, you're just like, you're out there, uh, flapping in the wind because you're at the mercy of so much. And right. uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm very, very grateful and cognizant of the, of 
you know, the fortune that we have to have this thing that can pretty much keep us going, pay all the other guys' loans. Our guest this week, Jeff Meese of uh, Pizza X, Lenny's, Bloomington Brewing Company, all the One World operations. I've got to ask you this, uh, Jeff, back when you were a 19-year-old punk kid and you were just starting this, this thing out with borrowed money, could you ever have imagined the kind of success that you have had? Yeah, you know, I've I've asked myself that question. It's things are things look differently than I probably would have ever imagined around me. I didn't I I didn't I never imagined this path. A guy at 19 who'd been working at Domino's probably sees that path. Or the path that like John Schnatter at Papa John's took cuz he opened 3 years after we did. Think about oh. that. No 100 kidding. miles south of here, Papa John's is three years or so younger than we are, and you look what they did. Very focused, just cookie cutter, you know, chain, franchise, the whole thing. But that just does not, it just, it's definitely a way to get rich. It doesn't hold interest for me. I just, I, yeah, I just can't, I couldn't do it. I just literally could not do it. So you couldn't wouldn't be interested in franchising Pizza X? I'm really not. Yeah. I mean, maybe somebody else, one of our guys, you know, but I, you know, we've built, you know, what we've built are people who, you know, it's very unique what we have. And I, uh, uh, and some guys coming up might want to do that, but it doesn't, it doesn't interest me because it's, it's just a different, it's a different model. Yeah. You know, I've uh, recently been reading about Ray Kroc, who bought McDonald's from the McDonald brothers in Southern mm. California. And uh, his idea was, uh, you know, let's franchise this uh, operation. And the idea being, he was like a general of the army. He was disciplined. You had to do things exactly his way and the right way. And you would be punished if you didn't. And if you didn't devote your entire 24 hour life to your business, why he thought you were a slacker and he didn't even want to have anything to do with you. That certainly yeah. doesn't sound like you. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, it's not, that's not, uh, that's not the life I want for myself or really for the people who work for me. You know, I think if you look at our pizza X business and you look at any freaking metric you want comparing us to a Domino's or Papa John's, how much our employees make, how much our managers make, our sales per square foot, our profitability—I'll bet we're—I'll bet we're above any of these chain operations. But we do it in in our own way, so we're very very efficient. But we also have something they don't, and that's we've built this tremendous connection and partnership with our community. You know that they they just can't do. You can't do it when you do it the way they do it, and I don't want to do it that way. Jeff Meese, let me ask you this. <laughs> When's the last time you ate a Pizza X pizza? Well, about a half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> I You're eat not pizza sick every... of it? Oh, my God. I eat pizza every day. We're fooling around with a Reuben pizza right now that the guys came in. They're... Our management team works up a new specialty pizza every about every four months, and, um, and they're playing with this Reuben pizza that was dynamite. I'd already had lunch. And I still managed to eat two slices of that. 
I thought I saw that on the sign outside of uh, Lenny's. Did I not? Lenny's has a Reuben sandwich. We have oh, a oh, great oh. Reuben sandwich at yeah. Lenny's and Hive. Yeah. No uh, Reuben pizza, though. So yeah. you're, not, you're not sick of the stuff that you oh, make? Oh, no. We, I eat pizza literally not every day, but probably for 38 years, at least every other day. I bet every other day I eat pizza. That sounds like the breakfast of champions to me. <laughs> Sometimes it's breakfast. <laughs> hey, uh, Jeff Meese, uh, he's uh, the co-founder and the co-owner of the One World Enterprises a group of businesses, of which there are many, Pizza X, Lenny's, Bloomington Brewing Company, One World Catering, and the Woolery Mill event space, the Loche Farm Gardens, One World Kitchen Share. One World Kitchen Share, what goes on there, Jeff? So... Kitchen Share is uh, a part of our, what we call our commissary. And uh, our, we've, we've had this commissary system for many, many years, ever since we opened our second Pizza X location, because we wanted to make our dough in one place. Dough, dough is finicky. It wants to be made in bigger batches yeah. to stay consistent. So we, we grew, and then we, we out, our first commissary was in the back of our first store. So our second store, we... Just made dough over there, took it to them. Gradually, when Lenny's came along, we built an off-site commissary, which was downtown many years just behind City Hall. And we lost our lease there uh, after about 18 years. And five years ago, bought a building, the old textillery weavers building out on the north side off the bypass. That's where my office is now. And that's where downstairs our commissary is. But it was a big building of stretch for us to buy. But we had already for five years before we moved here, we had been letting people use our kitchen when we weren't in there to do startup stuff. We like to support startup, food startups, and the sole entrepreneurship around food is it gets harder and harder to do it because of regulations. And it feels good to be able to help people get something started and give things a try. So uh, when we bought this building, we thought if we could if we could make that thing that we were doing more into a business, and there were some models of it around the country. So that's why we branded the thing as One World Kitchen Share, and we built some stations. And then people can rent those by the hour, and we have storage, and so a big cook line. So it's a place where people can come and do startup food stuff. Food trucks work out of here. We do cooking classes out of here. It's pretty cool. Now, I know of one person who uh, started up uh, at your operation there, and that would be Joni McGarry of Lucky Guy uh, Bakery. Yeah, she, she makes those fabulous brownies. I love them, I'm telling you. They're amazing, yeah. Now, here's the thing. Does she get to use all the equipment, the pans and the spoons and whatever? Yeah, babe, the cooking equipment and the, we call those small wares in the business. And if ah. they're just standard stuff, yeah, we have a lot of this stuff. If somebody needs real specialty stuff, we don't necessarily have it. And we're not going to buy any specialty stuff for somebody. But yeah, basically everything is here. You might have known our first, uh, you might have known our first guy because he was a WFHB guy and his name was Daddy Bob. Daddy Bob's, uh, <laughs> uh, he, he had a show like yours. 
And what did he make? He made peanut brittle. That's he got this whole wow. thing started. He approached us and said, "Hey, he wanted to make some peanut brittle, but the health department is telling him he needs a commercial kitchen, and right. we would let him use our commissary." And what's funny about that is I'd just been in. I'd been in our commissary a week before. It was the closest ice machine to my house, and I was getting ice, and it was we were already out of there because we're only in from like seven to one, and it was quiet and dark and clean. And I'm thinking, man, this thing just this beautiful kitchen just sits here, eighteen hours a day, and somebody ought to be using it. It ought to be, you know, adding value to somebody. And literally a week after that, this guy writes us, and uh, and I'm like. Let's do it. Let's figure this out. I would assume that the reason you have to have a commercial kitchen is a cleanliness and bacteria and things like that. They have to be guarded against. Is that why uh, I can't just start a food business in my home? Yes, exactly. That you know, the uh, the regulations sort of require a certain level of. Uh, yeah, uh, well, once they start defining what you have to do in a commercial establishment, then if somebody, you know, is just semi-commercial, then the commercial guys can point over there and go, hey, why, why are you letting her do that yeah. when we got to do this? I think right. that's what happens. So the unfortunate part about that whole thing, this is my political attitude about this, is it really hurts business formation or it can when that when the rules are too oppressive at at the very bottom right and now it also makes operate like now i've got a business because of that but i don't know on the whole if it's good or not i i i feel like we ought to focus our regulations on the people who can really hurt a lot of people and uh these guys who are just doing something out of their garage whatever you know they uh I think we're I think we're too worried about these very small operations and could yeah. use that energy in different ways, but I'm not in charge. It seems about ten minutes ago I was running down the roster of all your one world enterprises businesses. I left one off and it is the youngest. It's the baby of the gang. That would be Hive. Uh-huh. And uh Hive uh, can people still go to Hive? Can people go to Pizza X Lenny's? Can people go to Bloomington Brewing Company? We're all open. Uh, Yeah, Lenny's actually has been closed for a Christmas break for about five. We're opening on Monday. But Hive has been open. Hive was closed for a little while. Lenny's was closed for five months back last year. Hive was was closed to dine-in for a while. But Hive does a lot of carry-out, grab-and-go delivery. Uh, and Lenny's doesn't want to play in the delivery game, so we just kind of put Lenny's to put Lenny's to bed. Uh, if Lenny's can't be doing, if Lenny's can't be kind of rocking, better that we're not even open. Jeff Meese has been shoving food in Bloomingtonians' mouths for nearly forty years. Can I say that? Nearly forty years. That's right. Yeah, thirty-nine years this year. Jeff Meese, uh, he's uh, one of the founders and one of the uh, operators of One World Enterprises. Jeff, thanks so much for being on Big Talk. This was fun. Thanks for having me, Michael.